his voice and he began to tell the people in verse 15, these folks are not inebriated at 9 a.m. in the morning. But verse 16, he says, as it was spoken by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in, what's that next phrase? The last days, see? He said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Pay attention to all flesh. Then he begins to describe what he's referring to here. Your sons and daughters, so it won't be a matter of gender. They'll prophesy. Young men will have visions. Old men will see dreams on my servants or slaves and my handmaidens. I will pour out in these days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So according to verse number 17 and 18, all the way up to the end, because that's where verse 19 and 20 is going to take you in the book of Revelation. If you ever looked in when he was opening up the seals all the way up to the end, God is going to be pouring out his spirit somewhere and upon some people. There will not be an end to it. And those churches who teach that God doesn't do these things anymore, you can't expect too much to happen there. However, there still will be handfuls of people that are going to experience what happened here in chapter 2. And I guarantee you, it's going to be a shock for many people as God continues to call women to utter forth his word. So in the last days, sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now the word prophesy can mean preach. For some, it can mean inspired utterance coming from the Lord. Some church traditions like to use it to simply mean teach. It doesn't matter what, what verb you use. I'm just telling you God's going to use women. That's what I want you to see. God's going to use women. They're not going to have a muzzle on them. But in the last days, you're going to see a wonderful outpouring of God upon his church. And there will be visions and dreams. They're not going to stop. Don't be surprised when you hear stories of some Muslim person who says they went to sleep and, and they, they had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord told them to follow him. It didn't astonish me at all when I was in Turkey and they told me the story of a man that was on the pilgrimage to Mecca, fulfilling his Islamic vow. And he said, while he was walking around the black stone in Mecca, he saw in a vision Jesus standing on the top of it, telling him to turn from Islam and come and follow him. This is what Joel was prophesying. This is exactly what is taking place. And all over this earth, there are people that are having visions and seeing dreams. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be a dream about Jesus. It can be any kind of a dream or vision that comes from God that gives you insight or gives you direction. This is what is prophesied. Well, you say, Pastor, how do you know that this happens all the way up until the end? Because verse 20 talks about the sun being turned to darkness, and that doesn't happen until the last day of what we call the tribulation period. That's over in Revelation chapter number 6. So verse 17 is clear. It tells us that young men and old men are going to be seeing things. Seeing things. So God has a role for young people as well as older people. And you that are older, if God comes to you in a dream and he puts something 
in that dream that causes you to wake up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray, I think you ought to pray rather than just thinking it's not worth your time and just trying to roll over and go back to sleep. If you were to go to, to, to sleep and three o'clock in the morning, you saw a vision or a dream of a family member or me or anybody, a friend stretched out in a coffin. And I think if your eyes pop open, you ought to start making intercession for that person and begin to pray. You'll never know, but, but your prayers could avert the danger that somebody else could be entering into. And this is the reason sometimes God shows you different things. So don't, don't think it's strange. It's not odd. It doesn't have to be recorded in the Bible that you had a dream or a vision. It doesn't have to be placed in the margin of your scripture because it's not inspired in that sense. All it is is a visitation of God speaking to you and letting you know that he's in control and he still has power. That's all it is. I, I had somebody tell me one time, they said, well, you know, if, if, if somebody prophesies or says something like that, then it ought to be recorded and it should be in the Bible. I said, well, there are plenty of people in the New Testament that prophesied and it's not recorded what they said in the Bible. You said, they said, who? I said, well, the scripture said that Philip had four daughters that prophesied. We don't have one word recorded that ever came out of their mouth. I said, the Bible says that, that Silas himself was a prophet who traveled with Paul. We don't have one word recorded in scripture that they prophesied. So no, just because somebody gives an utterance, that doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be inscribed. But I want you to see that in these last days, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A multitude of people are going to turn to God. And according to verse 18, it doesn't even matter what their social status is. The people on the lowest rung of the ladder are going to be affected by this. These are your indentured servants. If you were in, in uh, Europe, you'd call these folks your domestics. See, folks working as butlers, maids, and folks like that. These kinds of individuals are ripe for the use of God in their life. And the scripture says, I'll pour out in those days of my spirit. Those days. What days? The last days. The last days. So I think we should be excited every time we hear about something wonderful that is occurring, whether it's a time of refreshing, some kind of renewal or revival that is occurring. When, when I hear about boatloads of people giving their hearts to Christ, oh, I say, praise God, fulfilling the word of the Lord. When I read testimonies of one or more, that God's filling with the Holy Spirit, and just like in Acts chapter 2, other languages are coming forth, I say, oh my goodness, God, you're still on the throne. When I hear someone give a testimony in their church about how they, they had been out of contact with their son or daughter for years, and, and, and they couldn't even find out where they were, but they had a dream. And in that dream, they started praying. And then God somehow brought them back into contact. I said, oh my goodness, isn't God a mighty, mighty God? So we don't ever want to think that we're just doing religion like a Buddhist does it. 
We're not just coming here to fulfill our obligation and to say we've done the rules of religion. And so now God is appeased and where he had his fist ready to beat us, he's now opened his hand and he's good for another week. That's not what this is about at all. We come to church because we want to be encouraged and we want to fellowship with the other saints. But we also want to know that God is big and strong and mighty. And we don't ever want to forget that. Amen. No doubt about it. Okay, so let's go to 2 Thessalonians now. 2 Thessalonians, you're going to go forward in your Bible, probably 20 or 30 pages there. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And with all of that good stuff occurring that I just mentioned in the first two uh, points, I want you to see now some of the stuff that's going to occur won't be so good. 2 Thessalonians 2. And look at verse 1. He's talking about the day of Christ. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So Paul knows there's going to be catching away. We're going to be caught up to be with him. That's what he's talking about. Verse 2. Do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. He said, do not allow yourself mentally to become unbalanced and don't become a wavering person. Even if somebody writes a letter to you and it has my name, Paul, on it, do not believe it if they are teaching you something contrary to what you've heard me already state to you. So do not allow yourself to be deceived. Verse three, talking about the day of Christ. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. That's the day of Christ shall not come except there come a falling away and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition according to verse 3 then there are going to be people who depart from the faith they're going to leave the truth now i want you to go to the next book first timothy which is three or four pages over to chapter four. He gives us, Paul writing to Timothy, a little more insight into how the falling away is going to occur. First Timothy four, look at verse number one. Now the spirit speaks expressly, clearly, that in the latter times, some, not all, not most, not even many, but some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, notice what the issue here is, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So what is a seducing spirit? It is an evil spirit that comes to lure a man or woman or child away from faith in Jesus Christ. And in these last days, the devil is going to be very busy doing everything he can to empty churches while God is doing his business in filling churches. So God's trying to bring people into the kingdom for a massive harvest. The devil is doing everything he can to cause people to become offended so they'll turn from the truth. And remember the parable of the sower. He went forth to sow and he sowed seed in various grounds. And it talks about one coming up and because the people were offended... They lost sight of the word of God. There are plenty of people like that in the last days. The devil comes and speaks to them and they hold on to bitterness. 
Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, don't let the devil get the advantage of us. And then he went on to say the way he gets the advantage is by unforgiveness. If you let a root of bitterness develop in here, and that bitterness takes root and develops pretty soon, just like vegetation, it'll spring up inside of you and begin to bear fruit. It'll manifest in your thinking. It'll manifest in your speech. How will it manifest in my thinking? The person who you have not forgiven, all you will do is think evil thoughts about them. You'll wish they were dead. You'll wish you had opportunities to kill them. You'll meditate on ways that bad stuff can happen to them and how you laugh at them when the bad thing happens. And you can say that's exactly what you deserve. Then it'll manifest in your speech because pretty soon that's exactly how you begin to talk. And maybe your language will be quite caustic and you'll use foul and vulgar terms when the person comes around because you don't like them so much. And all the while still attending church. Talking about the falling away, folks. People fall away from God every day sitting in church. Churches out here are filled with people who attend church and long ago departed from the faith. How do I know that? Because we have doctrines of devils. A preacher gets up and says something like this. Well, I know I have to preach this book because you folks pay me to preach this book, but I'm really not sure there is a heaven or hell. I, I just think that, you know, maybe all the, the hell that some people are going to experience in life is just the bad stuff that's taking place here on the planet. That's a doctrine of the devil. When someone says that there are many ways to get to God and you don't have to go strictly through Jesus, that's a doctrine of devils. And the person that teaches that and preaches that has been thinking that for a very long time. And the devil put the lure out in front of them. They went after it. And once the devil hooked them, he held on to them and started reeling them right on in. And so here we are now with churches that are filled with people who no longer believe in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but are filled with legends and tales. They'll read the Reader's Digest. If you want to know why revival can't take place in many places, it's because of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. People have turned from <clears throat> the truth. Now, we know this to be the case because in most places, we hear stories of these things going on in the, the churches. And... Um, I think in far too many of our denominational churches we're hearing this, and I'm sure it's probably in a lot of independent churches, even though I don't always hear that. But when the seduction begins, you hardly can tell it has occurred. People find themselves wrapped up with a strange fascination. Before you know it, they have moved away from Jesus and they're trying to mix Jesus and witchcraft. You can go anywhere in Haiti and find witchcraft, voodoo, and Catholicism mixed together. There are a lot of places in Africa where they have people who mix tribal traditions with their speaking in tongues. So folks, I just want you to understand that when it comes to the truth of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, Either it's founded on his blood and his blood alone, or it has a shaky and unstable foundation. Paul said in Colossians, you stand complete in him. If we have Jesus, we don't need anyone else. Our salvation is totally secure and safe in him. 
So having said that, Paul, speaking of the falling away, goes on to tell us some of the things that will happen in verse 2 and 3. He says here in 1 Timothy 4, he says people will lie, their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. Now you know what it is to brand cattle. So when you brand cattle, the heat from that instrument sears that that skin or, or or whatever that hide in such a way that nothing can grow back. So you always see that brand, no matter what's taking place, even if you can get some kind of animal here to come through there. So the scripture says in Ephesians chapter one that God has sealed us with his spirit. He has his mark on us. Scripture says, I know those that belong to me. But at the same time, the devil knows those that belong to him. And a man or woman whose conscience is seared typically is a reprobate. They don't see anything right. They don't see anything wrong. They are totally amoral. It could be wrong for me. It may be right for you or it may be vice versa. But in either case, I just don't think anybody should tell anybody else what to do. That's what it is to have a conscience that's been controlled by the devil. And you can see verse 3 there. If, if people are forbidding folks to marry in light of Genesis 1 and 2, where God specifically made a woman for a man, then he says here, that is not good at all. This isn't just for society. This is for a preacher or anybody else. Any doctrine that says you should not marry, Paul says it's the doctrine of the devil. And there'll be a lot of that in the last days. You, you hear people from time to time, even now, they'll just say general things like, you know, as, as crowded as the world is, I, I just really don't think we ought to bring any more kids into this world, you know. And, and, and give it just a few more days, there'll be people just saying, I, I just think marriage is overrated. They say that now, out in Hollywood. I just think marriage is overrated. I heard one Hollywood actress say one time she thought monogamy was unnatural, that humans ought to be like dogs and just sleep with any <clears throat> one that they want to. See, Think about that. Forbidding to marry. So marriage has to be depreciated. The institution has to be disregarded in order for this to take place. And you have to have people in a mindset to embrace these ideas. We don't embrace them. But there are a lot of people who do. And you can see in verse 3 also abstaining from certain meats. So these things even creep over into your diet and your menu. He says in verse 3, meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Every now and then I still hear on Christian television something like this. Way God has made man, he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he made them vegetarians. And after sin came, then people started eating animals. Then God told people stay away from pork and all kinds of other things because it's bad for you. I've read through the dietary laws over and over again through the years and I've never ever seen where God told them not to eat something and then gave them a reason why he told them. Never told him you couldn't eat it because he thought it was bad for your health. He just labeled some animals clean and other animals unclean. But some of the other animals that were legitimate to be eaten, people avoid those still. But when people get after me 
about eating some of the things that I like, all I need to do is refer to verse 3. I'm receiving you with thanksgiving because I believe God's word and know the truth. Remember Acts chapter 10, Peter had the vision up on the mountaintop, and, or not mountaintop, but up on the rooftop, and, and the sheet came down and all the different animals were on there, and, and it was labeled clean and unclean. He knew from the Old Testament law what was clean, what was unclean, what was kosher and what wasn't kosher, and he heard a voice that said, Peter, get up and eat this. And, and Peter said in that vision, oh no, I, I can't eat anything unclean, nothing like that's ever touched these lips. And the Lord had to let him know, don't you call unclean what I've cleansed. Essentially saying that the Gentiles, who in past times didn't have a covenant with me and were lost, Christ has come now and died on the cross, and you are to go and make sure you let everybody know who Jesus Christ is and minister the word of God to them. It's these kinds of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that have so many of the folks in India starving to death. You can walk through Bombay and other places on a hot summer day. It'll be over 100 degrees. You'll find people laid out on the streets, folks stepping over dead bodies because they've died of malnutrition. But yet wandering down the road will be several cows with garlands around their necks. But because they believe in reincarnation and that beef could be a relative or somebody's relative, they won't touch it. We don't have to be that foolish folks we can trust and believe the word of God if there are things you don't like to eat that is your preference but but for for you good folks in here that were you know raised out here in rural America and you still like your pickled pig's feet I'm not gonna bother you at all I promise you that you're not gonna have any problems from me verse 4 says every creature is good and nothing to be refused if it, if it be received with thanksgiving so when I hear these people from all of these different parties trying to control everybody's menu today and trying to determine whether or not you should be allowed to have salt in a restaurant and all of these other things regardless of how I feel about what it is they're trying to remove from you. I know there is something diabolical and demonic behind a lot of this. And it's all part of what, what Paul is saying in the last days. If you go back a few pages to 2 Timothy 2, again, you'll see there in verse 3 that there will be that falling away and all of this seduction and all of these doctrines of devils are designed to pave the way for the manifestation in verse 3 of the man of sin, the son of perdition. Perdition meaning destruction. The destroyer who will come. Now verse 4 gives us the characteristics of this man of sin who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. He will be arrogant, male. He will be someone that people will look to and admire. He's going to make a, a bid for control of planet Earth. We know that from the book of Revelation, but we also know he won't be able to control everything in planet Earth because in Revelation, it tells us about the horns on the head of the beast and how several of the horns rebel against him and how they'll hate him continually. So this man of sin that will be revealed once the church has been called away is going to be 
designated deity by a lot of people. Now you said there, there wouldn't be anybody foolish enough to label a man that's been born into this world God. Well, I can tell you right now, there were a whole lot of people 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that believed Father Divine was God back on the East Coast, and he, and he still has property over there with about 40 people living in that house that still think he's God, and he's been dead for half a century. Let's, let's, let's not forget that in the history of this nation, We've had a lot of people proclaim they were the Christ. We've had numerous people teach folks that they were God. And people honestly came to believe that. So the deception is real. So it says here, so that as God, he sits in the temple. The temple of God showing himself that he is God. In Greek, you don't have big G's and little G's for describing deity. In Israel, on that holy mountain, there's going to need to be an apparatus there where sacrifices and offerings can be made because in the middle of that one week that is left of Daniel's 70 weeks, you remember we talked about that some time ago, in the middle of that week, this man of sin, he's going to cause offerings and stuff to cease. Now Israel, I would assume, since Many of them are going to believe this man to be their uh, good leader and rebuilder of everything. I'm sure he'd be able to talk a whole lot of them into building some kind of a temple or worship place. Or he can have one built. But whatever's going to be up there on that site, I guarantee you this, he's going to occupy it as though he is God. And Daniel says there's going to be the overspreading of desolations, plural. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation. So there will be something that this person does that defiles that holy place. Daniel said it's going to be several things that take place. In ancient times, some folks thought that when Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and offered up, uh, I think, some kind of swine or something, in the holy place, that might have been it. That couldn't have been it because Jesus said in Matthew 24 it hadn't occurred when he was here. Mr. Epiphanes was around a long time before Jesus got here on planet Earth. So all I'm trying to say right now is there will be a very evil, wicked, mean person who is going to deceive a lot of nations and a lot of people. He won't control all nations because the scripture says people are going to admire him and worship him except for those whose names are in the book of life. and We will have some leaders, just like we have today, who love Jesus and are not going to bow their knees to any false god. But we are going to have a lot of nations that are going to be involved with that deception. Okay, so let's look at another one here. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. What else can we expect? 2 Peter's just before the book of Revelation, if you're following on television, Second Peter chapter 3, what else can we expect in the last days? Verses 1 and 2, Peter says this epistle, this second epistle, I'm writing to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Verse 2, be mindful of the words spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So Peter's telling you, I've, I've already been talking to you. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm one of the apostles. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, 
walking after their own lust. Here's what they'll say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What is a scoffer? Someone that mocks. Someone that laughs at believers. Their trust in the coming of the Lord. And you see that today. You hear people sometimes, I've been hearing Jesus is going to come all my life. I've been sitting in church listening for decades that Jesus was going to come. Well, he is going to come. I don't know when he's going to come. I'm just simply here as a mailman to carry the mail and let you know he is going to come. And that we are to live our lives prepared. So verse 4 gives us the questions and it also gives the statement, everything is the same. It may be like that today, but everything doesn't remain the same. Folks, look at how fast this nation shut down. How quickly it occurred. Look at how fast we went from an economy with a very low percentage rate of unemployed people to having more than 30 million people without a job. Don't tell me things can't change overnight. They can change quickly. The moment people are afraid and believe the words that are spoken to people. So they told people, don't go to work, stay in your home. People stayed in the home. And when they were in the home, they weren't reading the Bible. You were doing what I was doing. Looking at the news. And as you're looking at the news and listening to radio reports, you see the numbers just going up and going up. And as people are looking at the numbers, more people are dying. People are getting afraid, afraid, more and more fearful. Nobody wanted to step out of the house. Imagine what it's going to be like in a world run by the Antichrist when they're saying, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't even be able to buy or sell. California is turning off the water and the electricity for businesses and churches that have decided they want to go and worship their God. Don't tell me these people care anything about the king. John said, we've heard that the Antichrist spirit is coming. He said it's already in the world even now. He said that 2,000 years ago. The spirit that is opposed to Christ and truth is in this earth. Any governor that can fix their lips to say nobody can go to church and worship until a vaccine has been made, I'm telling you that person is filled with an evil that's different than anything I know about, and I don't care if they go to church every Sunday or look at it on the YouTube. Somebody that would tell people you can't come together and worship your God. I am very respectful about people's health and things like that, but in areas where you don't have massive numbers like they have in other places, they shouldn't be required to live according to New York City. They don't set the standard for the United States of America. But you can see as quickly as these things have occurred in the last 75 days, how fast everything could change when the church is gone and the Antichrist is in control. Only reason he hasn't been revealed, according to Thessalonians, is because of the presence of the church that's here as a restrainer. You take every Christian out of Fair County, I promise you, within two weeks, this will be a totally different place. Because they'd be passing laws in a heartbeat that they know they could never get passed as long as people are worshiping God. You remove every Christian from the state of Nebraska, and this place would be like Las Vegas. And parts of Las Vegas, I should say. And, and so on and so forth. So folks are saying everything is continuing as it has been. 
And you can see, verse 5, these folks have forgotten that the reason everything exists now is because God spoke his word and this earth manifested itself standing out of the water. But verse 6, he says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. You know what that means? He's referring to the age of Noah. He is saying there was a world here, but God was displeased with that world. And those folks also thought everything remains the same. And then came the flood and took everybody away. And he said, in like manner, things are going to change, except it's not going to be by a flood. But he says next time in verse seven, it'll be because of fire. That's what he says. And you can find that clearly in uh, this book. So verse seven, the heavens and earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. But beloved, don't be ignorant of this one thing. One day with the Lord is, a, is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So when it comes to time, God's calendar operates differently than ours. And it's, it's one of those it's, it's analogous to when, when a kid gets in the back seat and you've got a 10-hour drive to go, and, go see some relatives and every six minutes they're asking you, are we almost there? Are we almost there? Now asking the question doesn't lessen the amount of time it's going to be needed to get to where you're going. But it makes the kid feel better asking over and over again, are we almost there? It may be annoying to the parents, but the kid feels better when they get to ask, are we almost there, ready to stop? And that's how some, some people are. They, they like to have the discussions on the coming of the Lord, and they, they, they love to teach on the, the end times and the prophecies, but the teaching on it and the inquiry is not going to make time move any faster at all. God has a calendar. He has a date set. He knows it. We don't. We're just supposed to live for him, walk with him, and that's it. It's real simple. Born of God, live for God, die in God, go to be with God. That's, that's the pattern of life right there for, for the believer. So finishing up here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Notice that. Well, look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. How does the thief come? Unawares, quickly, overpowers you in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with what? Fervent heat. Now we have some pretty hot summers out here. You know that. But nobody's prepared for this. The earth also and the works that therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. But he goes on to say in verse 13, we look for new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. New heaven, new earth. Now go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is where we'll hang our hat. 1 Corinthians 15. I thought I saw somebody come in here tonight carrying, bearing gifts, some edible gifts, you know. And I think it fits right in that Timothy uh, verse that says, we receive it with thanksgiving. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, notice... Notice verse 58. So here's how we should act and conduct ourselves in the last days. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. Be disciplined in the way that you live your life so that you will not turn aside to chase after seducing spirits and doctrines and devils and realize that anything that's trying to lure you away from the truth is deception. It could be in a commentary. It could be in an article that you read. It could be a documentary on the National Geographic Channel or the History Channel that you may enjoy like I do. But if a scholar sits on there and tells you that these people in this book did not believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but that the disciples wrote that afterwards, then I'm telling you that is deception designed to prepare you for these last days. The falling away. Just stay with the truth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, Peter, James, and Jude, they wrote what they believed because they heard it if they were eyewitnesses with the king. So if they were eyewitnesses, why should we turn away from what the eyewitnesses wrote to believe what somebody 2,000 years later is writing? And you know they don't even believe Jesus was born of a virgin. So I'm going to stick with somebody who knows because I know when I get on the other side of this last breath, there's going to be somebody on the throne there it's not going to be that skeptic that was down here talking to many people. It's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. That's the key. So remain steadfast, unmovable, and keep busy, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't backslide. Don't turn away from God. Now is not the time to slow up. Now is the time to more and more get involved with clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, helping the fatherless, visiting those that are in prison, helping distribute tracts, giving offerings to those supporting missions, anything you can do to continue proclamating the gospel on planet Earth. Multiply your endeavors and expect God to continue to bless and do wonderful things. Amen? Praise God. This is a good time to be alive, folks. Yes, good time to be alive. It's exciting to see all the things that God is doing. Come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, we love you, we honor you tonight that your word is true and we can cast our anchor right here in this truth, regardless of what anybody else is saying. Help us, Lord, to remain steadfast. We won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along, but believing what your scriptures say. In Jesus' name and everyone say, amen, amen, amen.